Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or simply catching up on a message you've missed, we are so glad that you're connecting with God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. All right. Well, at this time, we are going to dive into God's word. I'm asking you to stand for the reading of the word. And I'm going to invite my wife, Carissa, up here to help me in this. And this time, we're going to do a little differently, or how it goes when I'm up here, is you guys are going to read along with me, and then my wife is going to repeat the same verse in Spanish. That is how we're going to do this. All right, so you guys are reading with me, and then she will repeat after us. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. This is what the word of the Lord says. Let's start at verse 17. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. Esto pues digo y requiero en el Señor, que ya no andéis como los otros gentiles, que andan en la vanidad de su mente. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Teniendo el entendimiento entenebrecido ajenos de la vida de Dios por la ignorancia que en ellos hay, por la dureza de su corazón. Verse 19, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Los cuales, después que perdieron toda sensibilidad, se entregaron a la lascivia para cometer con avidez toda clase de impureza. Verse 20, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Mas vosotros no habéis aprendido así a Cristo. 21, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Si en verdad le habéis oído y habéis sido por él enseñados conforme a la verdad que está en Cristo. 22, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. En cuanto a la pasada manera de vivir, despojaos del viejo hombre que está viciado conforme a los deseos engañosos. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Y renovaos en el espíritu de vuestra mente. And verse 24, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Y vestidos del nuevo hombre, creado según Dios en la justicia y santidad de la verdad. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Yes, we can give her a hand. And before we dive in, will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I pray that you bless this time as we hear your word. Lord, I pray that you speak through me, use me to share your truth. May your Holy Spirit move in this place, and may we draw closer to you in this time. We love you, Father. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, church, you made it here. You made it here, whether you're in person or you're online, you may just give yourself a hand, okay? Come on now. I am proud of you. You may look around and notice it's a little lighter than on Christmas Eve, and that tends to happen. You know, if you ask any pastor what are one of the most difficult weekends to preach, they'll probably tell you the Sunday after Christmas Eve. 
It's just a reality, right? Because, you know, one, you don't know what you're going to get, right? Is everybody going to come? Is nobody going to come? People have family plans. People go on vacation, last-second trip while their kids are on break. It's just, you just don't know what you're going to get. And then the other reality is that your mind kind of tricks you that you've already had church this week, right? So, like, last night as I was falling into the itis on my parents' couch, falling asleep, I had to keep telling myself, Mike, you have church tomorrow. You have church tomorrow. I had to tell me all week, I can't get too comfortable because I'm going to forget and I'm going to come in late, especially because I'm preaching. So I applaud you for being here because I know it's not easy. So thank you. But I think it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with getting a double dose of the word of God in a week, right? Amen. That's right. And I'm uplifted because, Tommy, all I need is you here and the fact that I hear you already. I'm excited. That will get me through. Amen, brother. Well, another thing that can be a struggle when it comes to the Sunday after Christmas Eve, is what exactly do I preach on? You know, it's kind of this thing where it's the in-between phase where we're not really ready to start a new series because we know people are on break and you're thinking, well, I don't know how many people that are new to the church that came over to the Christmas Eve service are gonna be here on the weekend, so do I address them? There's all these different factors that come into play. But as I was debating this, the Lord just kind of spoke to me, how about you just preach on the gospel? I said, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good answer, right? So that's what we're going to do today. So if you are here and your first time being at KCC was on the Christmas Eve service, first of all, welcome. Whether here online, we're glad you're here. And I don't normally do dedications, but this service, sermon is for you. Because I think a reality when it comes to discipleship and in the life as Christians, when we walk people down this path of what Christianity looks like, the reality is, is that we're not perfect at it. And if we're honest, we make mistakes, and we can think that we're leading people one way, and we can actually confuse them, and it can kind of go sideways. And as pastors, we struggle with that, because we always say, what, what, am I doing the right things to help you truly understand what it means to be a servant of Christ? I don't want to lead you astray, get your hopes up, right? I don't want to paint the picture that Christianity is this joyous ride and everything is going great in life because I'll be setting you up for failure. And that not only makes me look bad, but it makes God look bad. Because what we usually do is we put those problems onto God and we say, that is how God is, that is how he treats me, when in reality it had nothing to do with him. So I always take precaution, especially in this day and age, when people come to know the Lord for the first time, because the reality is, is we're so used to the culture that we grow up in and that is currently and always surrounding us, that it's so easy for us to bring things from our culture into our relationship with God. And if we're not taught differently, if me as pastors or elders or volunteers or high capacity leaders in the church don't help to right those wrongs, it can steer new Christians down the wrong direction. And that can be detrimental to the faith. It's not saying that God can't deliver us from that, but why intentionally set people up for roadblocks in their lives? So as we celebrate it on Christmas Eve, the birth of our Savior, we understand that this, this isn't just something we do every year just to do it. But as Pastor Mick said, we recognize the miracle that took place over 2,000 years ago. That this wasn't just some baby born in a manger somewhere. But this was the savior of the world. This was the God-man. This was God in flesh dwelling among us, his own creation. 
And not just for no reason, but so that he could relate to us with every single thing that we go through so that we can never have the excuse and say, God, you don't know my pain. You don't know my struggle. He says, yes, I do. I've been there. I've been loved. I've been hated. I've been betrayed. I've been taken advantage of. I've been doubted. He dwelt among us so that he could feel our pain and experience that and he could be the true sacrifice that we needed to completely wipe away our sin. Not temporary, not just some cover or mirage, but to completely cover us in his blood and to purify us. And as we celebrate later on Easter Day, the celebration of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we rejoice because what he said was true and he was who he said he was. That is what it means for us to be Christians to believe in his sacrifice and what that means for us today. The reality is that to experience true freedom in life only comes through Jesus Christ. The world sells us a fake view of freedom. It has stipulations to it. But if we truly want to experience what it means to be free in this world, it only comes through Jesus. And that is what I want to speak on today. The title of my message is called Afraid to Be Free. I've come to the realization that just because we call ourselves Christians, it doesn't mean that we automatically experience God's freedom. Yes, it is available to us. He's not withholding it from us. But the reality is, is that when we come into a relationship with God, if we're not careful and we don't understand how to change our worldview, we prohibit ourselves from experiencing the true freedom in Jesus. And that is a key piece as a Christian because it is his freedom the rest that we have in Christ, that is what separates him from the rest of the world. If we don't experience that freedom, then what makes Jesus different from anyone else? It's another false hope. So in the scripture that we just read, I think it speaks on the first thing that we are free from, and that is we are free from sin. If you remember a few weeks back, the last time I preached, the, the theme of the message was talking about how Paul was telling us how we need to choose whether we're gonna walk in the old or we're gonna walk in the new. The reality that before we came to Christ that we were dead in sins, we were a slave to sin, we were not able to do the will of the Father. We had no connection. But once Jesus set us free, once we died with him and rose with him, we now have the ability to choose how we are going to live our lives. Are we gonna walk in the old and what was comfortable, even though we know that it leads to sin? Or are we gonna to choose to walk in the new, to walk in the unknown? Knowing that even though I don't know what's going to happen or what's going on, I know who is by my side. And right, that's the pressure as a Christian. How are we going to live? Because it's so easy for us to go back down that old road. Even when we know it's destructive, the, famili the familiarity can be so tempting that we begin to tell lies to ourselves and convince ourselves that what we're doing is not really that bad. We're not really hurting anybody. But in reality, we're destroying ourselves. And Paul talks about this over and over again. Just as he said in the scripture, right? Don't live like those Gentiles because you have a choice. They don't have a choice. They're continuing to lust after their own wants in their lives and they want it more and more and it reflects in their personalities and who they are as a being. You don't have to be like that anymore. We no longer have to be a slave to sin. But the reality is sometimes we make that choice. 
We choose to live in that bondage because the familiarity feels so good compared to what's out there in the unknown. God, I don't know what's going on out there. That uncomfortability, I don't like that. I trust you. I say that I do, but when the rubber meets the road, I, I just got to go back to what I know. We struggle with that as Christians, but we are free. You are free from sin. If you made that first-time commitment on Christmas Eve, you are free from sin. The way that you lived last week, you don't have to do that anymore. The world may try to pull you back. Satan may try to pull you back, but Jesus is right there to tell you, turn around. I'm here. Follow my voice. You don't have to do that. We do not have to struggle anymore. That tension of what is right and what is wrong, Jesus reveals that to us. So if you made that decision, I'm here to tell you today that you can walk that path of freedom. You can be free from sin. But it is a choice. You choose how you want to live. God is not going to force you to be obedient. He loves you too much. He will let you make those decisions, but he will always be right there. Even when we mess up, to pick us up and help us along our way. So we have to understand that we are free from sin. The second thing that we are free from is from guilt and shame. Come on, Tommy. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are set free from Jesus. There's no more guilt and shame. And we wrestle with that so much, right? Because we find it so hard as, as these finite human beings. How can I contemplate that an infinite, ever-loving God can look at me and not see the terrible things that I have done, the wrongs that I have made, the relationships that I have ruined, the people that I have hurt? How can God do that? Well, the beauty, beauty of it is, is we don't have to understand it fully to experience it to accept it. That's the great thing about grace. It's not something you have to understand and then you receive it. You can receive it and through your walk with the Lord, he will help reveal that to you. But there is no more guilt and shame. And we love to beat ourselves up, don't we? We love to make every excuse in the book why we're not worthy, why we're nothing, why we can't be used by God because of the things that we have done. And we always love to tell people, you don't know my struggles, you don't know what I've been through, you don't know the things that I've done. And we say, no, I don't, but we know that God does. And he's still saying he loves you. So what does that say about your situation? He is still willing to not only forgive you of your sins, but to use you for his kingdom purposes here on earth. I talked about this in the past. Sometimes we get in that tension where, you know, we always talk about arrogance and ego, but it also can be a sin if we're too humble. Because what we're basically saying is, God, you can't use me because I'm broken. That's that mindset that Satan would love us to keep having. Yeah, you just sit on the sidelines while the war is going on because you don't think that God can use you. You're right. You're not good enough. When we go to that other extreme, that doesn't help us either to live out what God has called us to do. But we are in a world surrounded by guilt and shame. 
and not just from ourselves, but from people around us. You know, obviously, you're in the culture. It's something that this new phenomenon that we've been experiencing that is kind of on the rise right now is this idea of cancel culture, right? I know you've heard about it, this idea that no matter what you've done in your life, if we judge it as wrong, then you must be torn down, you must be destroyed, you must not be able to provide for your family, we must completely remove any significance you have off the face of the earth. That is the culture that we live in. Merriam-Webster defines it as this, the practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. You've seen it through actors, political figures, CEOs, singers, whoever. Right, this idea, this mob mentality that no matter what you've done in the past, even if you've reneged it, change your mind, the fact that it is there. We can't love you. We can't forgive you. You have to be canceled. Whenever I see these situations, I always ask myself, what if God treated us that way? Mmm, that's a tough one. We wouldn't like that. Because if anyone has a case to cancel us, it's him. And I find it funny that the same people who make those arguments are the same one who say that God is an unloving God because he sends people to hell. How could he do that? How could he be so mean? But yet they'll turn around and be the same ones who will cancel us for a tweet somebody said 10 years ago. There's no grace, no forgiveness in our world, church. It's all about ourselves. It's about how you make me feel, and if I don't like it, I will destroy you. Not because it's just, because it makes me feel good. And the problem is, the more and more that people grow up in this cancel culture, when they become Christians and they come to a relationship with God, it doesn't just go away. If we don't attack it head on, they bring that into their relationship with God. How could God, an all-knowing, all-powerful God, forgive me of my guilt and shame? If the world can't forgive me, how can God forgive me? If the world only knows a small percentage of the things I've done and supposedly God knows everything, how would he forgive me? Why would he not cancel me as well? Do you see the danger in that thinking? When subconsciously we bring that into our relationship with God because that's all we know. Instead of renewing our minds, focusing on God, we bring these practices in and we say, God must be this way also. He'll cancel me too. And all that does is create shame and more shame on us. And all that time we refuse to be used by God because we think we are not worthy. We think that he cannot possibly use a wretch like me or you. There's no way. The culture continues to fuel this type of thinking. I praise God that he does not cancel us. Instead, he washes us in our blood and says, son and daughter, I see you for who I created you to be. You are not defined by what you did in the past, but for who I say that you are. It's so hard for us as human beings to accept that thinking because we're so often judged by our appearance and the way that we act in this culture. And if we can appease the masses, then life is okay. When behind the scenes we're depressed, we're thinking about suicide, we just wanna get by day to day, and we don't ever actually experience love because we don't believe that it is real. Because we live a lie. But God wants to shed that lie. 
and says, no, I'm not canceling you. I'm not saying what you did is not bad, but I will not define you by that because I am greater than that. My forgiveness is more powerful than that. But we have to receive it, church. You can't just believe it's true. We have to live it out. You have to receive it. You can't say you're a Christian and go by day to day expecting to be used by God and you're still beating yourselves up for things he's forgiven you years ago. You have to move on. And that only comes through the power of the Lord. We are free from guilt and shame. Thirdly, we are free from the law. Romans 6.14 says, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. Romans 7.4 says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were also put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit of God. We are set free from this works-based religious faith. Again, the culture influences our relationship with God. We live in a culture, a performance-based culture, and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with that. There are fruits in it, but that doesn't mean that it applies to our relationship with God. And again, I'm not saying or blaming new Christians when they come into the faith. I understand it, it makes sense, that's all that you know. But if we do not stop that thinking, it will infect their relationship with God. They will come into this relationship and say, oh, I've grown up in a culture, a performance-based, works-based. My relationship with God must be the same thing. And we end up creating this legalistic culture where our whole lives is not experiencing the freedom in God, not experiencing the true relationship, but instead having a transactional relationship. That's as deep as it goes when we think like that. You know, I see this a lot when you, when you think of when it comes to like Mormonism, right? right? They, have, they have this theology where, you know, Jesus' death on the cross, he paid for our sins part way. But whatever we have to do, we have to make up the difference. And then hopefully when we get to heaven, his sacrifice covers the other half. Right, that is not a freedom religion. That's always in the back of your mind, geez God, I hope I've done enough. I hope I'm good enough. That's why they're always out, not because they love the Lord, but because they wanna make sure they get to heaven. There is no reassurance in their relationship with God. Their faith is fueled by a lack of eternal assurance. And as I said, we're, we're not immune. We have this mindset where we come to our relationship and we say, God, I have to do this and that. Thank you for what you've done to me, but surely there's something I must do to repay you to get to heaven. Surely there's something I have to do. I have to be good enough and able to get in. And God is saying, no, I've already done the work. You just have to live for me. That there is freedom in that church that we need to experience. And this past week as I was putting this message together, this, the Holy Spirit hit me with this other side of this that I've never really thought of before. Because when we talk about the work, workspace aspect, we always look at it from the side of our relationship with God, right? We say, this is what I have to do, God, to please you so that you will grant me access into heaven. But what actually happens is when we come in with that work, workspace mindset, we reflect that on how God thinks of us as well. That, oh, you're not doing enough for me. But then as human beings, we say, God, I expect the same from you as well. If this is truly a works-based transactional relationship, yes, I'm gonna do my part so that you grant me salvation and entry into heaven, but God, you have to do your part as well. 
right? We look back and say, God, you know, you haven't performed the miracles that I've expected you to do. I'm not pleased. You haven't answered the prayers that I've been asking on the time that I needed them. I've not been pleased. And because this is a transactional relationship, I'm going to distance myself from you because you're not holding your end of the bargain. See, that only comes when we have that type of mindset in our relationship with God. If we think that God thinks the same way as us, that it's about me pleasing him so that he grants me what I need, then he's all about him pleasing me so that I give him my faithfulness and devotion. It doesn't work like that, church. But when we come in as new believers with that mindset that completely demolishes our salvation and our relationship with God, because we continue to live a life where all we're worried about is, is God, is he going to strike me down? Is he pleased with what I'm doing? And work harder and harder and harder. Meanwhile, God wants to dive deeper with us in an intimate relationship and we completely miss it. All we know him as is a business partner. That's not what Jesus died for. He died because he loved us while we still hated him. That's not someone who just wants a transaction. That's someone who wants a relationship. He seeks so much more from us. But we miss that. If all we're doing is checking the box and saying, my only goal is that I make sure I get into heaven. Don't miss the heavenly blessings that are here on earth, the kingdom building that he has called us to do. We have been called to set free from the law. But one of the biggest arguments you'll hear about this is people say, oh, well, okay, if we're free from sin and it's all about grace, does that mean I can just keep on doing whatever I wanna do? Can I just keep on sinning because it doesn't matter? Holy Spirit is wise. He has wisdom. He already gave Paul the answer that, to that in Romans 1. Well, he said in verse 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Go down to verse 15. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. They have to understand that we do not live righteously so that God will do something, but for what he has already done. Why do I try to become more Christ-like? Why do I try to allow the Holy Spirit to guide my steps? Not because I'm trying to entice him to give me something. It's because of what he's already done and how he's changed my life. I want to live for him. Amen? I don't treat people the way that Christ wanted us to treat them because I'm trying to get on his good graces. No, I do that because I'm convicted of how God loved us while we were still sinners, and I want to reflect that in the world around me. I want people to see the living God, the one who has set me free, not out of obligation, but out of love, the love that I have for my brother and sister who is lost. That is the connection that they don't understand. It's not about trying to earn something. It's out of gratitude and adoration for God. That, Lord, I, if I could sing to you the praises that I wish I could, give to you all the money in the world, I can't do that, but what I can do is offer my life as a living sacrifice. And Lord, I may not feel like that's enough, but that's all I can give, and that's all that God asks of us. Just give me yourself, and I'll take care of the rest. Just love me, love my people, take care of my sheep. That is what I've called you to do. It's not about getting in my good graces. I've loved you. I've already paid the price. But there's more for you to do here on earth. Church, he is not done with us yet. 
But we can miss that if we continue to let any of these fears hold us back. And it's so easy for that to happen as Christians. It's not something we get right and we just cruise our way into the afterlife. No, it's a roller coaster. We have seasons where we get it and seasons when we don't. But the grace and the beauty, beautiful part is that we can always get back right with God. We can get back into that path and walk that narrow path the way that we're called to do. So I have a reflection question for us today. And I really want us to ponder for this. And in a second, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And the question is this. In which of these three areas is fear preventing you from being free? Maybe you're in a season where you're just saying, you know, Pastor, I'm just feeling held down. I'm feeling locked, like I'm in chains and I'm trying to walk with God, but you know what, I just don't feel free. I feel bottlenecked that I'm limited in my relationship with God. I don't feel as close as I was before. Maybe it's one of these fears that's holding you back. Are you still wrestling with that fear from sin, that freedom from sin? The enemy loves to bring it back, old things that we've done and say, man, that was terrible. Did God really forgive you for that? That relationship was ruined. Do you really think you've been forgiven for that? He loves to remind us of those lies. And sometimes when our guard is down, we listen. Maybe that's what you're struggling with today. Saying, you know what, yeah, I'm struggling with that freedom from sin. Or maybe you're struggling with that guilt and shame. Maybe something came up, maybe even over this past weekend, that made you think about what you've done. A reminder. Maybe it's something you've done recently. And that shame is weighing over you. And you're saying, God, there's no way. There's no way you can love me right now. And you just have this cloud of lies over your head. Maybe you need to remove that today. The Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, do not listen to that. Trust in my sacrifice. Trust in what I have done. Not what you have done, but what I have done. Or maybe you're being held down by that fear of being set free from the law. Maybe you're saying, you know, I'm looking at my checklist lately and God, I feel like I haven't been doing anything for you. Am I still okay? Do I got enough credit in my account? And you need to repent of that this morning. Say, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about looking to the world as this perfect Christian because what we're actually doing is misleading people when they come into the faith and say, hey, wait, where's everybody that looks perfect? They're not here. But it is when we are most vulnerable and broken, that is when we truly show people the gospel. Because if they can look at us and say, if that person is that messed up and they have salvation, there might be hope for me. And that church is the gospel. That is the truth. It's not, look at what this perfect person got salvation. No, that doesn't appeal to anyone. Because they said, I could never stack up to that. It's saying, in our brokenness, he picks us up, washes us, makes us new, restores us, and leads us on to the life that he has for us. Maybe you're struggling with that this morning. Whatever it is, as we're ending this year, getting ready for a new one, let's start fresh. Let's start the year in freedom as Christians. Free from sin, free from guilt and shame, and free from the law. I'm gonna ask you, as we go into this song of worship, if that's you this morning, I ask you to come forward. 
and lay that at the foot of the cross. If you're online, maybe you need to type that in the chat that you need to be set free today. Let's just have this time, church. God is here and he is open and he is willing and ready to take you into his arms. He doesn't mind that we make mistakes, but it's a problem when we don't go to him for, to solve it. When we go to outside sources, things that cannot fill us completely, that just temporarily know the pain. That is when God is hurt because he knows there is nothing better here on earth for us than him. So as I go into prayer, if that's you this morning and online, will you please respond? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the truth in your word. Lord, I thank you that you have set us free in ways that we can't even imagine. And God, we know the reality is that it's hard for us to accept sometimes, but that doesn't change the fact that it's true. God, that is the tension where we live. But Lord, I pray that we experience freedom today. God, I pray for those who are held down by the lies of the enemy and they just feel worthless and useless and they continue to paint this false picture of Christianity. God, will you break down those walls today and that they can just experience a moment with you, not worrying about us around them, just with you. I know that you can meet them here in this way today. And God, I pray fervently that you do that they cannot listen to the lies of the enemy or the world around them, that guilt, that shame, that fear. God, we ask that you remove that today. So may your Holy Spirit work in us as we come before your throne in repentance. God, we need your freedom. We thank you, Father, for your sacrifice, for who you are and the amazing things that you've done and continue to do here on earth. We ask all this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.